0: Uh, I've been telling people it just felt right I don't know how else to say it Uh, it can be none other than God and so we want to thank you for the overwhelming support the affirmation that we have received and it is good to be back and as many of you are saying welcome home so it is good to be home now if you want to hear the fuller story uh, there's lots more to tell uh, you can invite us out for lunch sometime just not this morning We'll be enjoying lunch here. Uh, It is very good to be here, and I bring greetings to and and regrets from Maureen. Uh, She is still up north in Grand Prairie. Uh, An uncle of ours passed away uh, a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago. So she was representing us at the memorial service yesterday, and I'll be picking her up tomorrow afternoon from the airport. So it's good to be here. All right, just a little introduction. So look forward to getting to meet a lot of you yet. Well, it was grade 11. A new family had recently moved to town, and they had a girl my age, and she had long, blonde hair. It was game on. I told my friend that I was getting up the nerve to ask her to the Christmas banquet that the youth was having in a few weeks, and he promptly replied, well, (laughs) so am I. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Now what? We need to understand something about our relationship. Hey, we were close, like Pinky Promise close, David and, I say Goliath, David and Jonathan close, <laughs> sneak out of my basement window when my parents were sleeping so I could meet up with this friend in the dark and just have some fun, that type of close. We did everything together, and here we were at this impasse. Well, we talked it through, and we finally came to the agreement that neither of us would invite her just for the sake of our relationship. Well, you can imagine my shock when a couple weeks later, I walk into the banquet and who was holding onto the arm of my friend? Yeah, I was crushed, I was angry and I was deeply, deeply hurt. Now we eventually did work things through but it almost tanked our friendship. That's my betrayal story. I'm sure each of you have similar stories. How did you respond in a situation like that? Let's pray. Father God, through your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word this morning in the time that you have given us. May we be responsive and receptive to what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning's passage that Anna has read for us also contains a betrayal story, but of much greater magnitude. We're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of John, God Among Us, and as we heard last week, it's Passover time, celebration time, and Jesus and his disciples are reclining around a table, enjoying a meal together. When he suddenly gets up, takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around himself, kneels down and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And what I would suggest is one of the greatest acts of love revealed that he could demonstrate to his disciples. And I want us to be overwhelmed this morning with this phrase, love revealed. All through John's gospel, we have seen example after example of Jesus revealing his love to people. And now as he's nearing the end of his earthly ministry, he gives this profound demonstration of love for his disciples. And we're gonna especially be focusing this morning on how Jesus shows this love unconditionally to Judas, the betrayer. So to do that, we need to jump back a little bit to the passage uh, that Caleb took us through last week in uh, chapter 13, verse 1, where we read, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Another translation says, to the full extent. This is love revealed. I chose this title, Love Revealed, because I think it ties together last week's passage on foot washing and today's story of betrayal in a profound way. So, I want to invite you to come with me as we explore and as we discover how Jesus reveals his love, even though he knows that he's going to be betrayed. So we begin in verse 18, where Jesus says, I am not saying these things to all of you. What things is he referring to? Well, let's go back to how the previous section ends in verses 15 to 17, where Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I believe these things refers to Jesus' example. Of revealed love through the foot washing that he did with his disciples as I have done you should also do but not all of you of course referring to Judas who was about to betray him Jesus then emphasizes a couple of key points first he reminds his disciples that he chose them I love what Henry Nouwen says in one of his books we need to remind ourselves that we did not choose God he chose us first God chose us first. God always does the initiating. So why does Jesus say, not all of them? Because he's about to reveal to them that one is a betrayer. And so then he quotes, in our passage here, from Psalm 41, verse 9. The one who eats my food has turned against me. I like the NIV, makes it a little clearer, where it says, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. It's an interesting phrase, so what's going on here? Well, in Jewish culture, believe it or not, to show the bottom of your foot to someone was a sign of extreme contempt. be kind of like slapping someone in the face. Or in today's culture, uh, a rude gesture when someone cuts you off in traffic. Not that any of you do that. Or, dare say, even worse, when your friend steals your Christmas banquet date. Ouch! A slap in the face. Deep disrespect. Judas is about to show to Jesus, the one who had called him, who had trained him, and who certainly had loved him. And yet, this doesn't change how Judas, or how, sorry, how Jesus treats Judas. He continues to reveal his love. Well, the second thing in this opening verse or two, uh, Jesus is reaffirming his identity in verse nineteen. We know that all through John's gospel, Jesus has been talking and revealing his identity. And here he's making a very bold statement. He says, I am the Messiah. Of course, as we've seen earlier in John's gospel, this is a direct reference, a quote from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where God says to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, Jesus is making himself equal with God. When he says, I chose you and I am the Messiah, scripture makes it clear here it's in order for us to believe. Another key theme in the Gospel of John. Do we believe? Did Judas believe? Well, then we come to a transition statement where it says, Jesus was deeply troubled. Verse 21. Now, we've seen this phrase a couple other times, back in chapter 11. Uh, when Jesus is troubled in spirit and he's actually angry over his friend Lazarus' death. But here in, in, in this passage and in 1227, it is grief over his impending death and specifically because one of his very own is about to betray him. But I wonder too if Jesus wasn't also displaying grief because Judah's soul was about to be condemned. But again, Jesus doesn't let this grief stop him. I want you to watch now as we take a look at how this love is revealed in these next verses. And to do that, let me describe the seating plan for you because this is very significant. Now, we've all seen the painting of The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. Beautiful painting. But it's not right. They would not have been sitting at a table with chairs. No, instead, they would have been sitting in a kind of a u-shaped table uh couches with a table in the middle as you see on this picture and in the middle section the three the head table and then probably five down each side and here's jesus at the head table in the center he's the host the first place of honor is to his immediate left the second place of honor is to his right And this is what really made me stop and think. What was Jesus about? Okay, let's see what's happening. Peter would have been probably at the end of one of those U-shaped tables, somewhere in the servant's position, a little, little distance away. Well, we know from Scripture that John is on Jesus' right. How do we know that in that second place of honor? Because Scripture says he can easily lean his head back against Jesus' chest, the beloved disciple. And that's when he can ask the question as Peter motions to him Hey, Jesus, who is it? Who's going to betray you? So if if John is on Jesus' right, who is on his left? And on this picture, it's blank, it's empty, but that would have been where Judas sat, in the place of honor. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? This is remarkable. He knows what Judas is about to do, and yet he places Judas in that position of honor. Not only has he washed his feet, he's now placed him in a place of honor. Why? To demonstrate his love. Right to the very end. And, I would add, probably to allow Judas one more opportunity to repent. Jesus is very deliberate in how he arranges the seating. That's love revealed. But I want to suggest to you that there's a lot more going on than just this seating arrangement. Do you remember that quote from Psalm 41 verse 9? And eating bread. Jesus now takes a piece of bread and he dips it in a cup, a dish. It's called the sop. That would have been the choice first morsel. And he turns and he hands that piece to Judas. Another sign of great respect, and honor. It would be like what we do at banquets when we raise a toast to someone. That's what this symbolized. Incredible. Jesus is saying, Judas, I love you. Even though I know what you're about to do, I still love you. More love revealed. But let's not also rule out the symbolism of this gesture. You recall earlier in John chapter 6, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. And I believe that in handing Judas this piece of bread, he's saying, Judas, I am the bread of life. I am offering you life eternal. And of course, we know what happened. Even though Judas ate physically, he rejected in his heart. He was not ready to respond. Did you see what's going on in this passage, in this story? As Jesus is handing the bread to Judas two incredible things happen. First, at that moment, Scripture says, Satan, entered Judas. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole demon possession discussion. Pastor Dave is back now. You could take that up with him. (laughs) No, seriously, I do want to suggest that there seems to be a progression into darkness. Somewhere along the way, Judas began that downward progression to darkness. It didn't happen all at once he began to open himself up to the darkness, to the enemy. Why do I say this? Because as we read last week in 13 verse 2, it says Satan had already prompted Judas. But now this is a whole new level. Satan enters Judas. I do believe that up to this point, Judas had an opportunity to still repent, to turn. But once he accepted and ate the bread, there was no turning back. He had made his final choice to do the will of the evil one. And he walked away. Love rejected. The seriousness of this, of this decision can be seen in the parallel account in Matthew 26, verse 24. For the son of man must die as the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never being born. Well, there's a second thing that happens when Judas takes the bread. That is, he gets up and leaves. Now, that makes sense, given what Jesus has just said. But let's not miss the significance of that little phrase, into the night. You remember how John begins his gospel? In 1 verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus is the light of the world. We, as his followers, are called children of light. In his commentary, Gary Bruce calls his statement into the night, both literal and symbolic. It is the darkness of unbelief and opposition. Judas went out, and even though he had been with Jesus three, three and a half years, he was still lost. We can hear incredible teaching We can be under good examples, but that doesn't necessarily transform us. We need to be willing to open our hearts to change, which Judas was unwilling to allow. You know, as I reflected on Judas' decision to walk away into the night, I couldn't help but think of something that's happening and affecting all of our churches in North America, and many of us have been personally affected as well. And I'm referring to the epidemic of youth and young adults that are leaving the church and their faith, there's been a lot of studies done as to why I won't get into that. But I was very saddened a couple of weeks ago when I read a Facebook posting by a former graduate of the Bible college where I was teaching. And in that Facebook posting, this young man was declaring his decision to walk away from the church and his faith after 20 years. It broke my heart. Now, we all have questions about our faith at some point. And I believe that this is normal. It's even a healthy part of our spiritual journey. I myself went through a period of searching, of asking questions, of major doubt. Does Jesus stop loving us during these times of doubt? Absolutely not. But we do need to eventually decide, are we going to choose to believe in the Jesus of the New Testament or are we going to believe in ourselves as Judas did and walk away? I would encourage us to help our youth and our young adults to not make the same mistake Judas did and walk away. Let's encourage them to ask questions, but let's also provide answers that will help them make wise decisions, to help them make faith their own and set them up for a life of serving and loving Jesus. Well, we now come to the third point, or the third part of our text in verse 31. Jesus is giving his last words. In your Bible, it might say the upper room discourse or a farewell, final farewell. Uh, He's giving his words of encouragement and comfort. But let's not miss out on the transition in verse 31. As soon as Judas left the room. Remember, Jesus has given Judas every opportunity to repent. But now that his decision is made and he's gone, the rest of this plan can unfold. Notice the contrast between verses 30 and 31. Judas went out into the darkness. Jesus is about to enter into his glory, the light of his salvation through death and resurrection. And that's why he says in verse 31, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory and God will be glorified because of him. So now that Judas is gone, Jesus continues to reveal his love, with an incredible command in verses 34 and 35, very familiar to us. A beautiful summary of the heart of the gospel message. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. This is love defined. I want to point out, I think, three things that we can draw from these two key verses things that we would note about Jesus' love. And I'm putting these two words together deliberately, Jesus' love. First thing, we need to see Jesus' love is a new command. Why does Jesus say this is a new commandment? Because he's taken the old commandment from Exodus uh, chapter 19, verse 18, or sorry, from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, to love your neighbors as yourself, which they would have been familiar with, but he's adding a key component, to love as he loved. And that's the new part. To love as he loved, a new commandment. Secondly, Jesus' love is the standard. How did Jesus love? Well, we know we saw it in the previous section by humbling himself as a servant. And we are called to do the same. We can't do this on our own strength. In fact, the only reason we can love as Jesus loved is when we see what we see in first John four, verse 19. We love each other because he first loved us. That's the only reason that we can truly, genuinely love one another. Jesus has set the standard, and he invites us to join him in loving others. How are we doing? The third point, Jesus' love is an indicator, it's a mark of true discipleship. Verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And we need to note here that Jesus is speaking not to the non-believers. He's speaking to the disciples, to us as believers. This is a call to us as the church, to love. And as we do, our actions of love will actually shape the way non-believers see God and Jesus. In other words, evangelism happens when Christians love one another. And you thought you had to sign up for some big program. Read this latest book. No, evangelism happens when we love each other. Paul summarizes this with one simple sentence in Galatians chapter 5. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. We can have all the fancy programs, but if we don't have love, it isn't real. This was made very clear to me uh, many years ago. Some of you may recall South Langley used to have a church hockey team which I was part of. And uh, one evening, uh, I was not having a particularly good game, and uh, the ref called a tripping penalty, which I did not think I deserved, and I got angry. I yelled at the ref, said some things that I regretted. As I went to the penalty box, I slammed my stick against the boards, opened the door, came in, the young kid, one of the sons of of the dads uh, from another church was running the score clock, and he looked at me and said, excuse me, can I get your number of your jersey so I can write it down? And being mature adult that I was, I slumped myself in the corner of the penalty box so he couldn't see my jersey number. I was mad. In that moment, I was not representing Christ very well. <clears throat> Sunday morning, I come to church. There's a letter in my mailbox. I took it to my office. I started reading it. and It was from a dear sister saying, I brought my non-church neighbor to the game the other night. During the game, at one point, she turned to me and said, who's that hothead? And this dear sister had to sheepishly explain, well, that's our youth pastor. Oops. I blew blew it. I blew it big time. I started weeping as I read that letter that was so gently written in love and yet so pointed to my shortcoming. And in that moment, in one sense, I betrayed Jesus. Jesus. Praise God, he used that letter to completely transform my life. I never got a penalty no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It was a process, but God used that to challenge me, and I thank that sister for being willing to speak truth into my life. This passage ends very abruptly with Peter, you know, brashly as he often does, saying, uh, I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus, in love, saying, really? (laughs) Actually, Peter, the truth is, in a few hours, you will deny me three times. We'll leave that for another message. So what do we do with all this? What do we do? How do we respond to this love revealed? I'm going to guess that not too many of us have outrightly betrayed Jesus the way Judas did. But are we walking in his revealed love? Have we embraced the wonder of what Jesus has done? Let me remind us, just for a minute here, of what the incredible things Christ has done for us and let it sink into our minds for a minute what have we received like the disciples in Judas we have had our spiritual feet washed as Paul says in Titus 3 when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done but because of his mercy he washed away our sins giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit did you catch that he washed away our sins spiritual feet being washed. Like Judas, we've also been seated at a place of honor. Paul says in Ephesians 2, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Seated in a place of honor. And like Judas, we have been given the bread of life. John chapter 6. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do we realize what we have in Christ? This incredible love that's been revealed. You know, Judas had it all offered to him, and yet he chose to walk away. So to help us bring this home, I would like us to take take us back into that scene around the, the Last Supper tables with Jesus. Who do you more relate to or respond to? Maybe you relate to John. You've got a close, intimate, personal relation with with Jesus. You're enjoying his presence, fellowship. Great. Give praise and thanks to God for the relationship that you have. And look for ways that you can help others and come alongside them and encourage them in their spiritual journey. And remember, that does not mean that you have arrived. We all have much more to go in terms of becoming like Christ. Why not help someone else in their journey? Maybe you relate more to Peter. Now, we didn't say much about Peter this morning, but you understand the story. Peter was eager to please. Yes, he was somewhat impulsive. Maybe you've even been willing to make promises. You've offered your life. You've got good intentions, but not always following through. What do you need to do this morning to change that? Maybe you do relate to Judas at some level. You've experienced Jesus' love. You've given outward expression of following, but there are some dark places within, like my hockey illustration, my anger. Maybe you're harboring something against Jesus, something that nobody else even knows about. Maybe you've allowed something to come between you and Jesus, or you're not surrendered to his love. You know there is more, and today may be the time for you to take that piece of bread, the life that Jesus is offering, and receive his love. Please don't walk away. Maybe you're not even in the picture. Maybe you're a bystander looking in. And as you've watched this morning from a distance, you've not only observed but even felt Jesus' love, maybe for the first time. You can turn to Jesus and receive his unconditional love. Church, how is our love quotient? Are we loving one another the way the world is noticing? Early in the third century, Christian writer Totillian said these words, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. See, they say, how they love one another. See how they are ready to even die for one another. Does that describe South Langley Church? See how they love one another. Where are we harboring bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness to a brother or sister? How are we talking about others when they're not present in the room with us? Where can we show the love of Christ to someone today? I'd like to invite the worship team uh, to come up and the prayer team as well. And as we close in prayer, I want to encourage each of us to give in to Jesus' revealed love. I don't know how the Holy Spirit has been prompting you. As I wrestled through this sermon over the last couple of weeks... I realize I still have a long way to go in embracing this revealed love. I'm not there yet. I want so much more of that. And so during these last songs, take some time to pray and reflect. If you would like to come to the front, to either side, and uh, join some of the prayer team, I invite you to do that as well. And here's just a couple of things that I would suggest that you could pray for. There's many more. But maybe you've never surrendered your life to the love of Jesus. Why not now? Why not this morning? Maybe you would like prayer for someone who has gone out into the night, into the darkness, someone who has walked away, a loved one or a friend. Maybe you need prayer for yourself as you realize you have begun going down that path towards darkness or betrayal, and you want to reaffirm your commitment and your love for Jesus. Maybe you need strength to love someone. Or you're burdened to pray for renewal of love in our church. Don't wait. That love revealed is available to each one of us. Father God, thank you for the gift of your Son Jesus. Thank you for his revealed love to us, made so clear and evident in how he reached out, gave Judas every opportunity to respond. You're doing that for us this morning as well. And each one of us needs that touch. We need to experience your revealed love in a new and fresh way. Thank you for meeting us here this morning. and We invite ourselves into your presence. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work of conviction and encouragement. And as we come before you in prayer and as we worship through these songs, Lord, we just want to lay ourselves before you and say we love you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?